look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm terrific. Faisal, how about you? I'm well. Get tons of questions about taxes, my friend. Clearly, with all the government spending that's going on, um, are they going to go up? Interesting article put out by Benjamin Tall, who's our deputy chief economist at CIBC, talking about that the income gap between high-income earners in Canada and low-income earners in Canada has widened. Job creation uh, has happened in that higher income earning um, segment of our through this of pandemic our economy, through the pandemic yeah and there's been a, a worse than expected fall in the lower income jobs that income gap is becoming a problem could that lead to an increase in taxes in that category that higher income uh, category let's find out uh, Benny welcome to the show thank you a pleasure okay. Um, we got to talk a little bit about that, the article. So I, I've tried to set up the notion that the pandemic has had a very disproportionate effect on lower-income uh, earning Canadians and it has on higher-income earning Canadians. Maybe just, just give us a sense of, of how dramatic a difference that has been, and then we can transition to talking about what might come of this um, because of it. Yes, uh, that's a very good point because uh, this has been the most asymmetrical uh, recession ever in terms of uh, the impact on low-income versus high-income Canadians. Uh, all the jobs lost uh, during this recession uh, were lost among low-income Canadians. And uh, what we found, which was very interesting and surprising, is that the number of jobs among high-income Canadians has risen by 300,000 positions. So we have seen a situation in which the income gap, the earning gap, has been widened dramatically. So we all know that income went up during this recession. This is the first recession Mm -hmm. ever that income went up. And many people blame the government, said, you know what, the government is spending too much money. To an extent, maybe. But the number one factor behind this increase in income was actually that wages of high-income Canadians went up dramatically because their labor force went up and therefore employment went up. This is something that we have never seen before. Usually any other recession, including the 2008 recession, saw all jobs going down, high paying and low paying. This time, all of them are low paying and all the gain, high paying, something that we have never seen before. Very, very interesting. So, so Benny, does that kind of conclude that we're going to see increased taxes for higher income individuals, and you can define what higher income means for us, and that's going to give that redistribution back to the lower income individuals? Yes, we don't know, but clearly it will be tempting for the government to do so. I don't think they will do anything when it comes to taxation anytime soon, but eventually something will happen. Let's put it in perspective. When I say high income, in this study, we're talking about people who are making, uh, let's say, above seventy, eighty thousand dollars uh, a year. So, when the government is going to go after people, it will be actually more uh, higher-paying uh, individual, higher-paid individuals. So, let's put it in perspective in terms of the motivation and what kind of uh, taxes. First, uh, we know that before the crisis government spending as a, as a share of the economy was about 15%. Now it's about 35%. Clearly unsustainable, and it will, it will go down. 
But when it goes down, it will go down to maybe uh, 17, 18, 19 percent of, uh, the, uh, of GDP. This means that we are seeing a permanent increase in government spending. A, a permanent increase in government spending because we know, without even noticing, that we are putting together the infrastructure, the plumbing for tomorrow's social assistance program. We're talking about universal uh, daycare. We're talking about uh, maybe some elements of permanent uh, changes to the EI system, maybe basic income or an element of it. All this will cost money, so there will be a permanent increase in um, the share of government spending in the economy, and at one point you have to pay for it. And that's where I see some increase in taxation. And then maybe uh, they will go after capital gain. We know that already in the fiscal update, they introduced a tax on uh, big tech, on options. Mm -hmm. Maybe the next step will be to increase the inclusion rate for capital gain taxes. Maybe they will take some... Uh, uh, you know, carbon tax money and put it into some sort of general um, purposes, or if they are totally desperate, they will go after HST. 1% increase in HST is about $7, $8 billion of uh, government revenue. Very difficult to avoid the temptation. Again, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Now we are in a recovery mode. It will take a while. But 2023, maybe, we might see some elements of higher taxes. The, so the purpose of the higher taxes, is that just to pay down the excess mm -hmm. debt, or is that to actually get the redistribution of income to go to help the lower-income individuals? The numbers that you said was less than $70,000. How does this help the, the lower-income individual if you raise taxes? Yes, uh, I don't think it will be about uh, income distribution. It will be more about financing government spending that is designed to help low-income individuals and the gig economy. You will have a more generous uh, social safety uh, net, if you wish, and somebody will have to pay for it. I doubt they will go after income tax because the marginal tax, uh, the marginal uh, rate of uh, tax now is way too high, and I don't think they will go higher than that. So they will go after uh, capital gain. They will go after maybe consumption in terms of HST or even um, carbon tax, something along this line. Yeah. All right. So in the article, uh, I know you're speculating, but you said, um, you know, it seems a reasonable outcome that this will happen. So give us a probability. How, how confident are you that we're marching down this path? Well, I really don't know. It's a tough one. Uh, depends who's uh, running the government, depends yeah. uh, the political situation. There are so many unknowns. What I'm telling you is that we are seeing, going to see a permanent increase in spending and at one point, there will be a push to make sure that this deficit is not rising yeah. too quickly. So there will be some elements of uh, higher taxation, but I don't think it will be on income. I think it will be more on capital gain, excluding real estate, I think. It will be more financial capital gain. We have to remember that uh, the government or the Liberal Party and the NDP definitely spoke about it before, mm -hmm. even before the elections, it was an issue. So that's something that might happen. Uh, however, it will not raise the revenue that they need, and that's why I fear that there is a risk, a risk that they will go after the HST, but only if you are totally desperate. Got it. Uh, Benny, I want to thank you for your input um, today on this. It's a question that we get lots, and I think you've shed some light on it. Thanks for joining us. A pleasure, and good luck. Thank you.
We're joined by Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. Well, the good news is unlikely, in Benny's opinion, that it happens this year or even maybe next year. Yeah, 2023. So when people are having investment portfolios or assets that they're looking at a capital gain and you're hearing, should I cash in now and take a lower tax rate? Well, according if Benny's opinion is right, then we've got a couple years to figure this out. However... That's a, still a, a question up in the air for people who've got portfolios. What's interesting now is if we go back to our conversation with Benny and other economists, let's say a year ago, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and so forth, you, uh, universal income benefit or, or yep. a, a floor on income for people was not even a, a possibility at that right. point in time. It is now uh, on the forefront, making sure that there's some sort of income and lifestyle guarantee, universal uh, daycare um, interesting perspective on there what i haven't heard is there's no universal education past secondary education Mm -hmm. so no post-secondary education first two three four years covered by the taxpayer base because we need to increase that to get higher paying jobs it's to protect the bottom not push people up which is a very interesting move that's happening and i think we're going to have bigger debates what's going to be interesting is you're going to start seeing I'm going to call it polarization, for lack of a better word, amongst the political groups, uh, if you look at from all the different different parties. And that's going to cause a lot of rippling in this, in this country, um, where people are now going to say, um, we should support lower-income individuals, or we should not support lower-income individuals. And I think that's where uh, we're going to have a very volatile time. It's going to be blasted everywhere on social media, yep. so yep. be ready for that. Yep. But again, it comes down to do not act on the noise. Wait for the news. Yeah, and that's right. And I, you know, I guess the takeaway here is if there is going to be uh, a permanent increase in spending, put two and two together. That money has to come from somewhere. Exactly. Okay. Well, listen. Um, this is the environment we're in. It's dynamic. It's always changing. The taxes are always changing. You've got to be nimble. But we still have to support our lifestyle. Yeah, and, and taxes being the most exp- uh, most high, or the highest expense item you're going to have through your retirement. How do you minimize tax? and still reach the lifestyle that you want. We're going to talk about that on our webinar on Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Stay tuned after the break if you uh, dare to dream because we're going to talk about renting your own yacht in retirement. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. You bought that lifestyle. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Let's talk lifestyle, my friend. Dare to dream. It's a cold weekend, <laughs> right? And um, we're going to try to take you out of this cold and out of the snow and into some beautiful tropical waters. Okay, so close your eyes. Pretend yep. that we are allowed to travel outside of this country. Yep. And you could pick any island. You could pick any warm spot. But what about this, the sea? The, the Sitting on a beautiful yacht and enjoying... Yep. The water, the sun. Okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm I'm you're there, right? so I can't you're do there? the show. I'm I'm now relaxing. <laughs> and that's you're on your you... own for this 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 section. And that's how you get rid of Dave Popwich, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's how it works. Hey, listen, we are joined uh, by Jim and Judy Brown. They're owner operators of Sail Dauntless. Um, Jim and Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Well, you can tell that we're envious of this. Now, listen, this is this is about finance, lifestyle, and retirement. And, you know, it's not uh, often that we get to transport people through the radio right out to the beautiful, wherever it might be, Caribbean waters or wherever we're going to be. But I, wa- I want to talk uh, to you guys about this yacht 
charter business you, that you have. But I want to start before the yacht. I want to know how you got into this business. Was this a lifestyle choice and you guys left something else? Or have you always been in this business? This isn't the first time we've been dauntless, okay? it's uh, We've been living aboard for three years, yep. and we've been chartering in um, the Caribbean, yep. up and down the chain, uh, in the Grenadines one season, and the Virgin Islands another season. And uh, we're making a big move. I uh, just want to put it out there this summer to the mm-hmm. Med. So we'll be chartering Italy and Croatia. So we're quite excited about Europe. We're going to Dubrovnik for all the Game of Thrones people out there, which there's a few of them. There's, <laughs> so yeah, I'll give you our backstory here. So, so um, in, let me see, what year was it here? In 1995, we purchased a property in western Loudoun County in Virginia, right at the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And our first child... We're calling our first child because it took nine months. Was the design of our custom home, right. and we acted as our own general contractor. So this was very dauntless, since no one else in our family ever owned that much land, or um, you know, or built their own house. Yep. So um, Henry, our oldest son, was born a week after we received our occupancy permit. Our younger son, Will, was born two years later, and it was a great place to raise our boys. So that was fabulous for about twenty years or so. And they grew up, and we decided it was time to explore the world. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, how can we do this? So starting a business with our new floating home has enabled us to do this. Well, that so, sounds like uh, a that, very that, brave yeah. story, I have to tell you. That's fantastic. <laughs> it is brave. <laughs> yeah. so, so, Jim, Jim, when you, when you started out with this whole venture, was it purely for your own retirement, for your own use, or were you always in mind of having a business where you can charter this out for other individuals? I retired at 62, and I decided that for my retirement, I wanted to travel the world with Judy and use my past ocean sailing experience, our entertainment skills, and Judy's love for, um, for the culinary skills that she's so good at, that we could turn this into a business mm-hmm. and actually finance our way around the world by sharing these, um, these week-long experiences with our guests. And, and Jim, from your experience, if someone wants to do this in retirement, do, should they just jump right into this? Is there a program or training they should go through before they... Because it sounds great what you're doing, but I have a hard time even riding my own bicycle, forget about a yacht. So how would, how would someone that right. has that view that, that you have say, yeah, I, I would want to do that too, what, should, what kind of steps should they go through? First, they need to do a lot of research. They need to take a uh, take a week long charter on somebody else's boat, maybe in a vacation spot that they want to go to, whether it's the Florida Keys, the Virgin Islands, or the Med, um, and get a taste of what it's like on a boat for a week. Then, uh, if it's still a go, then take some sailing courses. If if you if they do not know how to sail, uh, take some some courses on the boat that you want to sail on. And then if you're going to start an actual business, you'll have to get licensed as for myself um, in, in the United States as a Coast Guard license. In Canada, it's basically the same thing, or they call it a little bit differently. And you'll need, you'll need uh, a few years of sea uh, time uh, before you would get your commercial captain's license. And then the crew, um, in this case, Judy's my first mate as well, she had to go through a whole series of safety training courses that 
that all folks that sail in international waters um, have to take. Um, you know, so everybody who works on the cruise ships, the mega yachts, everybody has to take these international training courses for safety. Uh, once you have all that, um, do your research um, and go out and look for the best boat that you can find. You know, Jim, there's a whole bunch of really cool things that are going on here, and I don't have to tell you that, but as I'm listening yeah. to your story, uh, you know, you've, you've combined this, uh, this personal love of sailing with the adventure that you wanted in yeah. retirement, that lifestyle you want. You've combined these things together into an experience. I'd like to know about the experience that you're having. So you guys had some visions and ideas of what this might look like. How's it turning out? Beyond our wildest thoughts before we got started, um, the um, the adrenaline of uh, leaving the East Coast for the first time, you know, on our on our new boat um, and sailing down to the Caribbean was a uh, life changing event that I did not even anticipate. And I've I've actually worked on the ocean, but when you're out there offshore. And it's just you and your wife starting a new adventure. Mm-hmm. Then it's really, it really kind of, it really kind of hits home. Once we got down to the islands, it was really, um, really an uh, exciting for us, challenging every day. Mm-hmm. The uh, the million the million dollar views every morning when you come up out of the cockpit. Uh, the challenges of the weather and Mother Nature, what she throws at you on a daily basis. And um, even more so, meeting all the other folks that are our age, a lot from Canada, that are retiring on their boats down in the Caribbean. Right. Not necessarily in the charter business, right. but that's their lifestyle that they've selected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's quite the international uh, exposure when you uh, when you you meet other folks um, that have taken on our lifestyle. You bet. Jim and Judy, we're going to have to wrap this up. One last question, Jim, for you really quickly. Judy still likes you after all this close contact? <laughs> it's amazing. 33 <laughs> years. And we're, oh, excuse me, 34. Uh-oh. And, Uh-oh, and it's still going strong. <laughs> that, that is fantastic to uh-huh. hear. Jim and Judy Brown, thank you both very much for taking some time out of your beautiful lifestyle and the experience you're having to share it with us. We love it, and we want to share it with others. So thank you for letting us come on. Wonderful. Have a good day. You too. That's been Jim and Judy Brown, owner-operators of Sail Dauntless. Um, you can Google that if you're interested in sharing some of that cool retirement experience. But they've combined, what's important here is they've combined a vision of their lifestyle. Yep. Right, and then uh, an engagement model of, of something that they're going to do to stay engaged and entertained Correct. and everything else. Right. Correct. That's the hardest part. Yeah. <clears throat> they knew they know what they're retiring to. Right. And that's the hardest part. And that's what people I, I have a vision of what it might yep. be. And how do you transition? One of the biggest hurdles is, can I afford it? Can I maintain my lifestyle throughout my life? You bet. We're going to answer that question on our webinar on Tuesday, March twenty third, seven p.m. live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking about the anti-retirement movement. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to uh, More Than Money and 770 CHQR. And uh, Andrew, have you heard of this anti-retirement movement? 
I haven't personally, but I think that's probably a movement that's going on a very long time, um, depending on who you talk to, Faisal. I think working with Dave Popovich is an anti-retirement movement, isn't it? There's no way we're going to be able to retire for working with him. <laughs> but this is, a, this is an interesting uh, uh, concept. I definitely want to dig into it because I think this is where things are headed in the future. And so let's bring our, our guests on, Patty and Millage Hart, co-authors of The Revolutionist Welcome to the anti-retirement movement. Patty Millage, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. I'll start with you first, Patty. Let's go to what's the difference between this traditional view of retirement and how do you guys see retirement? Well, I mean, I would say, first of all, we would start by saying it's not your parents' retirement, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the world of Retirement is changing dramatically. We have extended our life as human beings by 30 years in the last century, and we're living longer and we're living healthier. Um, we also are a generation moving to retirement that created um, more wealth than any generation that came before us. So we have the resources and the knowledge and the desire, I think, uh, a real shift to move to a new phase that we call your resolutionist phase. Um, to really spend your time continuing to grow and learn and give back and contribute, um, but very different than the retirement of the generations before us. So what do you think about that, Millage? I mean, how do you, uh, what do you see um, as the anti-retirement movement? I see it as a, a large, I mean, the, the baby boomer generation, the very large generation, and as Patty mentioned, has worked really hard and has developed tremendous, not only skills, but resources. And we see this group of people entering retirement with likely living much longer than their parents did. We've added 30 years of life over the past 100 years. So more of that times in retirement. So I think what we're going to see is this group of people who is ready, eager, still healthy, still energetic, and ready to give back, not only to family and friends, but also to companies and to nonprofits. And, and so, Millage, I kind of want you to take a second uh, step at that one as well. Why do you think this is becoming more and more prevalent? Like, what what's incurring the, the change? Because when when we talk to a lot of our, our clients who are retired, let's say they're in their 80s, Andrew, yeah, 80s, yeah. Uh, the rocking chair on the front porch is their vision. When you talk to our 65-year-old clients who are retired, if I mention the word rocking chair, I'm going to probably get something across my face. So, um, uh, so, so Millage, from, from your perspective, why do you think this is becoming more and more prevalent? What's happening with this change? Because thinking about sitting in a rocking chair for 30 years, which is the amount of time people will have in retirement, is overwhelming to think about and not at all interesting. And as we leave the workforce, sometimes at an earlier age now, I left the workforce with hopefully a runway of 30 years. And so I really think the opportunity is there to continue to work, to give back, and to help more with a portfolio of things instead of just a full-time working thing. Um, and so that, that's why I think it's huge. In addition to that, I think technology is really paving the way for us to move well beyond our community and reach out and touch and help people around the world without just being stuck, you know, in one small specific area. Um, 
Patty. Yeah, I think to add to Millie's comment, I think, sure. you know, movements, whether it was the women's movement or civil rights movements or whatever that we've seen in our lifetime, they require mass. And I think the timing is so perfect right now with the baby boomer generation providing that mass along with, you know, the women's movement is now putting more women into retirement from full-time work than ever before. Um, so you have, in many cases, couples that are both retiring from work as opposed to one retiring from work. So, you know, when you come from a family like Millage and I, where we both worked, you know, 50-hour work weeks for, you know, our entire life, and now we're both coming into this, there is a real desire to continue to be relevant, to continue to be measured, to continue to contribute. And, you know, that's that's a big change because I think you have more women participating in this retirement movement than you ever have. Yeah, and, and, and Patty, when you talk about the retirement movement, on, on the money side of it, just because I'm kind of interested in that, is is it seems that everybody's going to retire at a certain age, or is that is that changing as well, moving to a different age? Um, or is it just a, a need in general that they want to retire and continue to uh, to contribute? I think, I mean, I think it's a broader um a broader band of age now. It was, I think, if you think about generations before us and people coming out of manufacturing and blue-collar roles primarily, um, it was all, you know, done and organized by your collective bargaining, how long you would work, when you would go out, what your, you know, benefits would be when you went out. And, th- and that's really kind of falling away a bit. I think also you have now, because of technology, as Millage indicated, you have the opportunity to contribute, work, generate wealth for yourself at a distance. So I think many people are moving what to what I would consider to be a portfolio life, where you're not done earning wealth and adding to your nest egg, but you're not committed in the same way to one mission, but now you're moving forward many missions. Millage, uh, Andrew and I both have young children, and then well, hopefully one day they leave our house and they get a job. <laughs> and I can only imagine our uh, he's got two boys, I've got two girls. I can just hear the four of them saying to us, you old people are taking our jobs. We're done university or post-secondary education. You're still in the workforce. You're still, quote-unquote, contributing. We don't have a chance uh, when we're competing with someone who's got so much years of experience and would there be an anti-movement to the anti-retirement movement and saying, let, let the, uh, the younger generations get in and let you, uh, you, you and I and everybody else, quote-unquote, the old folks get out of this, this, uh, this way of contributing by still being in the workforce? First, I want to wish you luck in getting the children out of the house because <laughs> the, 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 the trend on that is not going in your favor, guys. <laughs> Thanks. My pleasure. Um, But to answer the question, I think with how Patty and I are looking at it and how other resolutionists and anti-retirees are dealing with it, it's more of a portfolio thing. We're not in the workforce full time, but we have more of a portfolio. So I don't feel like Patty or I with what we're doing are taking up the jobs that our our son would want. And um, because we're working with company boards, we're working with nonprofits, and we're trying to move the world forward in that way. So I don't feel like the anti-retirement people will be taking up those kind of jobs because it's not necessarily and typically not a full-time job. Well, this conversation is going to go on for, I think, a few more decades considering the demographic (laughs) changes and so forth. 
Patty Milge, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and starting the conversation, at least on our show, about uh, how this anti-retirement movement is going to happen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our pleasure. Thank you. We've been joined by Patty and Millage Hart, co-authors of The Revolutionist. Welcome to the anti-retirement movement. And you know what? It's all about lifestyle and choice, Andrew. It is. And as people start to transition to and live in retirement, they want to have the freedom of choice to do what they want to do in retirement, which may be contributing in a non-financial way. So they may not be employed through their retirement years, we'll call it that. Um, and so how do you bulletproof that how do you protect that 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 cash flow so you can do whatever you'd like to do we're going to discuss that on tuesday march 23rd 7 p.m live online go to more than money to register now here's an interesting story what if you are uh, in a common law relationship here and you do not have a will and your common law spouse passes away are you going to lose all your money to somebody else does the government take it we're going to find out after the break join us right after on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Andrew, there's been a lot of conversations, and in fact, there's been a case coming out out of uh, British Columbia of, of an individual who died without a will and has a common law spouse. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, and a lot of people, unfortunately, are passing away lately. And, and, and the amount of people that actually have contacted us through the show or through our own website saying, I don't have a will, is astronomical. I am. Sh- is. I'm not surprised, but I am surprised. Yeah, I can't remember. There was a stat on that at one point that was like, you know, forty percent or fifty percent of people. Yeah, do I think not you're right. Forty percent do not have a, a will or an estate plan, which includes multiple documents. It gets, I think, a bit more cumbersome, more complex when you have a a common law spouse versus or a living partner versus a married partner. And I think they're different. Well, I would assume they're different because, you know, there's a different sort of set of rules behind it. And that's what we got to figure out. In Alberta, what happened? So we got to bring our expert here, Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Callan LLP, reoccurring contributor to the show. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to speak to you both this morning and to all of our listeners. This is definitely a very important and contentious area surrounding um, family dynamics and the proper estate plan to have in place, um, whether you're married or whether you've got what is called in Alberta an adult interdependent partner. Okay, so let's start there. I want to just let people know that the case that came to our attention came out of British Columbia and Alberta, uh, every province has their own laws. So I want to bring it home to our province. And that's why I brought Jennifer on the show. Um, so I'm not going to go into the details of what happened in the BC case, but let's get into the details of what could happen here in Alberta. Um, let's start off with the, the definition of adult interdependent partner versus common law, which is used in other provinces or other parts around the world. Let's start there. And then we can talk about this word of called intestate and we can go from there. Absolutely. So in Alberta, then, our legislation uh, defines an adult interdependent partner as um, essentially a continuous relationship of interdependence um, that is also continuous cohabitation for at least a three-year period. 
And so the definition of that relationship, there's a number of factors. Um, it is essentially, it can be, can be a marriage-like relationship, including shared accommodation, domestic services, how you present yourself to society. And so uh, the adult interdependent re- partnership um, has to meet a number of criteria. The first hurdle being the three-year continuous cohabitation. The only exception to that is if you have an adult interdependent agreement in place that might provide for something different. And so high level, that is what the, that is what the terminology is and the test is in Alberta. Is that, any, is that different than the word common law in other provinces? Um, not really. To be, to be honest, a lot of people come to us and talk about common law relationships. We tend to use, use those phrases interchangeably, but technically in Alberta, it's the adult interdependent partnership uh, term that we use. Okay. And, and, and Canadians in general understand the concept of a will. They may not have, the, they may not have it. <laughs> they may not know the yeah. details within it, uh, but they understand what a will is. What people don't understand is the word intestate. What does that mean and what does that, what are the outline rules when it comes to the word intestate? Absolutely. So intestacy or being intestate means that you have died without a will or without a valid will in place. And so then what happens to your estate? We all know that a valid will shall um, determine and reflect how your estate is distributed upon one's death. And in the case of intestacy, the question becomes, if there is no document or no valid document that dictates that, what happens? And so our Wills and Succession Act in Alberta has provisions um, and essentially a formula as to how one's estate is distributed. Okay, Jennifer. So, so when we go back to common law relationships or adult interdependent partner relationships, um, what unique challenges are are in place for those? Exactly. So, intestacy, uh, the intestacy provisions in our Wills and Succession Act provides for either married spouses or adult interdependent partners. That is that has been proven, not just in an, an alleged adult interdependent partner, which of course was the fact scenario exactly at play in the BC case that we've been ta- that we've alluded to. Um, you have to prove your status as an adult interdependent partner, and then on that proof. Uh, you get a share of the estate. If there are no dependent children, uh, you may get all of the estate. Okay? The word and dependent if, children is the key one there, right, Jennifer? Exactly, exactly. That's where it becomes quite complex and convoluted, especially with um, blended families and stepchildren and the like. And so just to, just to break it down a little bit further, um, if you pass away in Alberta without a will, and but you have an adult interdependent partner, they can make a claim for a portion of the estate, and that portion is set forth in the Wills and Succession Act and in the regulations. They're entitled to X amount, and then if there are children um, that meet the definition of either under 18, being minor children, or children in post-secondary education between the ages of 18 and 22, or alternatively, children who are able to earn an income by reason of physical or mental disability, they can also be entitled to a portion of the estate. So we walk through the formula once we get presented with this type of fact scenario. We have a couple minutes left before we have to go uh, at the end of this show. So um, 
what's the the learning outcome for everybody if you are in a ant, uh, adult the interdependent partnership we'll use the word common law as well regardless of if you've got a blended family or not there are a few things that that people should do jennifer give us two or three things that every individual should do exactly and so i think number one everyone needs to know that if you are in this type of relationship that is not a formal marriage relationship you may still have obligations to you will have obligations to your adult interdependent partner to provide for them um so a get the proper will in place that is done with respect to meeting the formalities of our legislation and then also um, understanding what adequate provision is if you don't adequately provide for your adult interdependent partner you could expose your estate to a claim they could bring a claim for adequate um, family maintenance and support so the last thing anyone wants is litigation and disputes after they pass away among their family members whether it be blended or otherwise and so the proper planning in place is key and then secondly, having those conversations with your adult interdependent partner, any children of either relationship that's been blended, and making sure that everyone is understanding what they could, what they are properly entitled to. I understand as well there's um, privacy concerns and some individuals and, and family members aren't comfortable sharing the plan. But I can tell you that open communication and transparency within the family relationship, as complicated as it can be, can oftentimes save a lot of um, disputes and stress, both emotional and financial, after a loved one has passed away. For those of you who don't know Jennifer, she's not just preparing these documents, she is litigating. So Jennifer, this actually gets in front of a judge and people argue and fight over the estate in an adult interdependent uh, partnership, isn't that correct? Unfortunately, yes, we see that. Um, we see that in our practice and in our estates group at Carscallon LLP. Uh, we, we are seeing more and more of these disputes all the time with, without the proper planning in place. It just heightens that risk. So if you think it's not going to happen to you, it can. Jennifer is a live example of how people can actually uh, have these problems and then hire the right people for that. Jennifer, I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much again, Faisal and Andrew, for having me. It's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll look forward to our next discussions in this very interesting and important area for our listeners. Thank you very much, Jennifer. We've been joined by Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Callen LLP. She knows her stuff. She knows how the planning needs to be, but her job has also been how to fight these issues on behalf of her clients uh, because the fights do happen. So if anything you can learn about is to plan. Well, that's it. Get a plan. Make sure your wills and your, your estate documents are up to date. And make sure you talk with your family members and push it through. Because you know what? It's going to save you a lot of time, energy, and money for your estate and for your family in the future. Absolutely. And for those of you who are talking, we're talking about plans. How do you have your proper retirement plan? Not only about your estate, but making sure that you live through your retirement lives in the way that you want to. We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 p.m. Live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's the end of this show. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll tune in next week on 770 CHQR and More Than Money.
David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.